you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 107. You will find the text printed in your bulletin. With today being the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I've chosen a psalm focusing on being thankful. And perhaps you've looked and said, John, that's 43 verses. What were you thinking? I, I know, it is long, but I want to challenge you with something. As I read this text, I want you to work hard to focus and to listen. Sometimes it's good to challenge ourselves. We get so, we're such creatures of habit that we're, we don't even want to think of, man, I've got to listen for four minutes to a verse or a passage of Scripture. But it is so good for us to do so when this psalm is so relevant to your life into mine. So work hard, follow along as I read. And before I read this text, let me pray and ask for the Lord's help and his blessing. Gracious God, you've told us that your word is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of joint and marrow of soul and spirit, and discerning the intentions of the heart. Lord, would you open our eyes to see wondrous things in this your holy word. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This is God's word, Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. 
Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol Him in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water. And there He lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Perhaps you are acquainted, at least to some degree, with the story of the pilgrims. You know, the early group that came over to the new land seeking relief from religious persecution. And I don't want to get caught up in all the details of that story. We could spend hours talking about it. But I want to highlight just one aspect of their story. Governor William Bradford wrote an account of the founding of Plymouth Plantation. And in it, he writes these words. May not, and ought not, the children of these fathers rightly say, Our fathers were Englishmen which came over this great ocean, and were ready to perish in this wilderness. But they cried unto the Lord, and He heard their voice, and looked on their adversity. Let them therefore praise the Lord, for He is good, and His mercies endure forever. Yes, let them which have been redeemed of the Lord show how He hath delivered them from the hand of the oppressor. Do you see what Bradford did there? He quoted Psalm 107. And in doing so, he's faithfully applying the words of 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. He understood that this psalm, written thousands of years prior, was relevant to their circumstances. And friends, the same is true for you and me. This psalm is just as relevant for us here in 2022 as it was when it was written some several thousand years ago. That's just part of how amazing the living and active Word of God really is. It seems that this psalm was written after the people of Israel returned from captivity in Babylon. God brought his chosen people into the promised land. He said, if you obey me, there will be blessings. If you disobey me, there will be curses, as Barry preached on in Deuteronomy 30 last week. Well, the people broke God's commands, and after time and time again, God eventually allowed and raised up the Babylonians to bring them into captivity. But the Lord was faithful. He brought them out, brought them back. And so this psalm is a corporate Thanksgiving-focused on the steadfast love of the Lord. You know, this week, more than any other throughout the year, we tend to highlight being thankful. And rightfully so. I mean, Thanksgiving is a national holiday. 
My wife Amy made a thankful turkey for our boys. It hangs up on the wall, and we add each day feathers and the things that they are thankful for. Bo, being three, is responsible for most of them, so we find things like cake and toys and books and his baby brother and things that are wonderful. And he keeps walking around the house saying, God has given us so many blessings. And he's right. I'm glad he gets that. But his list is mainly material things. And I think that's age appropriate for a three-year-old. But often you and I are just like my son. The things for which we are thankful tend to be material as well. And that's not bad. But this psalm reminds us that there are things even greater for which we are to be thankful. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon says that this psalm is about thanksgiving and its motives and that the main focus is spiritual blessings. And so today I want us to see how this psalm calls you and me to a heart of thankfulness for the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. Our passage begins with a call to thanksgiving in verses 1 through 3. The psalmist says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. It's easy for us to overlook details like the little word, Oh. The psalmist could have said, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. But instead he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? It's an intensifier. It shows just how important it is for us to give thanks to the Lord. This reminds us of how important it is for us to be thankful. Our God is worthy of our worship and our praise and our thanksgiving. How disrespectful it is for us to fail to give thanks. And yet, if we're honest, so often we do just that. But notice the psalmist doesn't just call the people and us to give thanks, but he also says why we're to do so. So he'll give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. He doesn't say that God does good things, but that he is good. God is good in his very nature. He is the essence of good, and the overflow of that is his good acts. Do you know that God is good? I mean, not just intellectually in your head, but experientially in your heart and life. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Is that true for you? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? I pray you have. If not, ask the Lord that you would be able to do so. It might be in some small way today or this week. It might be in something beyond your wildest imagination. His goodness, the psalmist says, includes his steadfast love. That's the Hebrew word hesed. It's the covenant faithfulness of God that he promised to be our God and that we will be his people. And then he keeps that covenant all throughout time. That phrase, steadfast love, is repeated six times in our psalm. So it must be important. And this love is not like I love you like I love football or I love chocolate cake. No, this is a rich, deep, magnificent love connected to God's covenant promises. We see that the redeemed are to say so. God redeemed the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. But more than that, He redeemed them and all God's chosen people from their sin. And so all who are in Christ are part of the redeemed. Which raises an important question. 
Are you redeemed? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, surrendering to his lordship and forsaking your sin? If not, come to him today. Cry out to God for mercy. Don't let another day go by. If you're a part and outside of Christ, then you can thank God for material blessings, but you haven't experienced the deepest spiritual ones. So come to Christ. Trust in him. And if you are redeemed, then heed the call to thanksgiving. Be thankful not just for food and shelter, for family and friends and our church. Yes, be thankful for those things, but be thankful for spiritual blessings. The finished work of Christ being adopted into his family and the hope of the new heavens and the new earth. That's the call to thanksgiving. In the heart of our psalm, verses 4 through 32, we find four snapshots of God's provision. There's four groups of people that God has delivered out of their afflictions. And it appears that these are four different groups within the captivity, more than likely in Babylon. And yet these don't just describe past events. They're useful for us today. One commentator called them four paradigms of ways that we can expect God to work in our lives today. As we work through these, I hope you can relate to one or maybe more how God has provided for you and let that drive you to thanksgiving. The first in verses 4 through 9 is a desert wasteland. We read in verses 4 through 5, Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. It's not hard for us to picture people wandering without a place to live. Maybe for some of these people of Israel, they were in the Sinai desert, literally wandering around. Maybe for others, they were in a city in Babylon, yet didn't have a house. Or maybe they, being away from Jerusalem and the temple, felt like they were away from home without a place to live. Perhaps you can relate. Maybe you've literally been homeless at some point in your life. You didn't have a roof over your head, or maybe you went from one couch to another. If God brought you out of that season, thank Him for it. If you have a good home, then thank the Lord for that. If you grew up in a good home, praise the Lord for that. And even more so, if you grew up in a Christian home with parents who loved you and taught you the things of the Lord, or kids, young people, if that is your story today, thank the Lord for that. But the desert wasteland isn't just physical. It's also spiritual. And we know this because verse 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. My guess is we have all found ourselves in a spiritual desert at one time or another. Maybe for you it was during college. Maybe it was after the death of a loved one. Perhaps it was during a really busy season in your life, like a mother with young children. Sometimes we enter a spiritual desert because we look for hope in the wrong place. Jeremiah 17 contrasts a reverential fear for God with an ungodly fear of people, what we might call people-pleasing. And Jeremiah says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. 
He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. What a vivid image of the barrenness of looking for hope in someone other than God. Maybe your people-pleasing tendencies has led you to that place. If you've been in a desert wasteland, either physically or spiritually, and the Lord brought you out of that, then let that motivate you to offer thanks to God. I mean, the call comes out at the end of this one and all of the four sections. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of man. How important it is for us to give thanks. The second snapshot is one of bondage. Verses 10 through 16. Verse 10, it says, Some sat down in darkness, in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. It's very likely that some of the rulers of Judah, some of the aristocracy, the well-off, the leaders, were put into prison or forced to do manual labor. My guess is that not many of us have literally been in prison, although maybe that's part of your story. I don't know everyone's whole story. If so, when God has brought you out of that, praise the Lord. However, we have all been in spiritual bondage. We all have been slaves to sin. Romans six sixteen says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves... You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. How great it is that God has delivered us from the bondage of sin, the slavery to our sin. If you are in Christ, then this is your story. So thank God for it. The third snapshot is affliction from sin. We see this in verses 17 to 22. Starting in verse 17, the psalmist says, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Affliction and, uh, and ailments come upon us all throughout our life. Yet some of them come as a direct result of foolish sin. Now this does not mean that every ailment we face is because of our sin. We know this because in John chapter 9, the disciples and Jesus come across a man who was blind, and they said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. So not all afflictions are a direct result of sin, but sometimes they are. David says in Psalm 32 about his sin with Bathsheba, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. The psalmist here in Psalm 107 talks about how the people loathe food. It's, nothing sounded good to them. It's like they felt the need to vomit. Can you relate? Have you been in a season of foolish sin that left you in affliction? When I was in college, there was a season where I was not honoring Christ, and I distinctly remember just feeling sick to my stomach, and even a prolonged fatigue that I think was associated with my sin. And yet, like the psalm says, the Lord delivered me. 
Maybe he's done so for you. If so, thank him. The last snapshot in verses 23 to 32 is natural disasters. This section describes men going through storms on the sea, and that's certainly tumultuous. If you've ever been in a boat during a big storm, you know that's not fun. Think about Jonah chapter 1, where God brings a big storm, and the sailors who were used to this kind of thing were terrified for their life. Maybe you've literally been through a storm on the sea. But we've all experienced natural disasters of some sort or another. Maybe you lived through a hurricane. Maybe it was a tornado if you lived in Kansas like Elijah. I know we have tornadoes here too, but they're not nearly as prevalent as out there. There's all sorts of things from which God has delivered us. And even our spiritual trials are like being in a storm on the sea, the up and down of the waves, feeling like we're tossed and turned. Can you relate to any of these snapshots, these paradigms? I pray you can. These are reasons for thanksgiving. And they go beneath the surface of physical blessings. We should be thankful for those physical ones, but the spiritual ones are even greater. We want to thank God for them. Henry Alford was a pastor in the 1800s, and he preached at the Canterbury Cathedral, the mother church of all England. And it is said that at the end of a day's hard work, as well as after every meal, it was customary practice for Dean Alford to stand to his feet and give thanks to God for the blessings just received or enjoyed during the day. Along with being a pastor, Alford wrote many hymns, including Come Ye Thankful People Come, which we will sing in just a few moments. And in that psalm, he is thankful for material blessings, but also spiritual ones of what Christ has done and the hope of heaven. He clearly understood what Psalm 107 is all about. Do you? Our psalm ends in verses 33 to 43, and it kind of shifts in a way. It's an unexpected ending, so to speak. The tone changes. It's much more of a meditation. It's a contemplative section. The writer is at peace. And it raises the question on what is the psalmist meditating or contemplating? Ultimately, it's the power of God and His sovereign work. There's a sense of rest and ease as he thinks on what is happening, but is caught up with the greatness of God and His power. We see in this section how God reverses various situations. He turns rivers into a desert in verse 33. He turns the desert into a pool of water in verse 35. He describes good things happening to God's people and then bad things or hard things. In fact, there's two cycles of hard times followed by blessings. Hard times, again, followed by blessings. James Montgomery Boyce helps us understand what the psalmist is doing here. He says, the psalmist is acknowledging that not everything the people of God experience can be described as a deliverance and be received with utter joy. Life has its pain and tragedies, even for Christians. Yet in spite of them, we can and should praise God for his wisdom and goodness, as the pilgrims did. We can do this by seeing God's wise 
loving and sovereign hand even in hardships. Perhaps that's exactly where you are today. Maybe you are dreading Thanksgiving and Christmas because of a recent loss or some difficulty at home or something going on in your life. Maybe you found yourself frustrated with verses 4 through 32 saying, this doesn't seem like my story at all. I don't feel like I've been delivered at all. If so, I pray you see that Scripture understands and says that that's okay. God's Word is relevant to your particular situation. Life isn't all cheery and rosy all the time. There are trials that we face. God knows what you're going through. His love for you is soft and tender. You see, the psalmist is teaching us that we can thank God no matter what is going on. You may be in the valley, in a tough season, or about to enter a tough one unbeknownst to you. We're about to enter a tough one as a church with Barry's retirement. But friends, we can still be thankful. Because ultimately our thanksgiving isn't based or shouldn't be based on our circumstances, but rather on our Heavenly Father who is good and whose steadfast love endures forever. We've seen that this passage gives us a call to thanksgiving. We've seen four snapshots of how God's provided. And the psalm ended with a reminder of being thankful no matter what happens. Yet we would be remiss if we didn't draw the connection to Christ in this passage. How do we see Jesus here? I mean, his name is not mentioned. It's not a direct prophecy of Christ as some psalms are. Friends, our Savior experienced situations very similar to those described here in Psalm 107. He experienced hunger in the wilderness, as Matthew 4 tells us. Matthew 8.20 tells us that he didn't have a permanent place to lay his head. He was afflicted for our sins to the point of sweating like drops of blood. He was redeemed from the gates of death. Brothers and sisters, your Savior knows what it's like to suffer. And he has the power to redeem you and me. He can deliver us from any trouble we face. Paul tells us in Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Psalm 107 closes with these words, Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. In other words, contemplate, meditate on the steadfast love of the Lord. If you want a passage to read to help you, Ephesians 1 and 2 is a great place to go seeing what Christ has done on your behalf. So be thankful. God is worthy of our thanksgiving. Let this week be one full of thankfulness. But better yet, let your whole life be one of thanksgiving for God's spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. And do it all for His glory. Let us